right, so those of you that missed last week, we are in the life of David. Too bad if you missed last week. That's all I can say. All right, so we are in uh, part two. We'll probably be in the life of David for, I want to say, into May, probably a little bit into June, and then we'll figure out what happens after that, okay? So if I said I love to tell stories, would any of you be surprised? Would you? Uh, I mean, every evening when our kids were young, I would get this plea, Dad, tell us a story about the lovey, buddy, Baylor, and Hobbs. Those were the stuffed animal names. And we would tell stories about the stuffed animal names, right? Uh, and I had to make sure that I had even heroic deeds for each of the stuffed animals, or one of the kids would be like, wait, wait, that's not how the story goes, Dad. It goes like this, right? And they would finish the story for me. Saturday mornings, everybody would pile into bed, and we'd pull up the covers, and there'd be four kids under the covers, and everyone wanted to know where the R-O-U-S's were because they were all over the bed, and they were under the bed, and they were in the closet. Uh, then there was the story about him who must not be named. Yep. The dreaded ragmeen muffin. The dreaded ragmeen muffin lived in the chimney, and he came out at night. And he liked to go under kids' beds. And I hardly ever finished that story when one of the kids would say, Dad, can we stop? This is too scary. <laughs> Nancy actually did an intervention, too. She said, honey, you have to stop. You're scaring the kids. They're having nightmares about this some ragamuffin monster. It's rag mean muffin, honey. But then there was my masterpiece. I mean, it is, to this day, the masterpiece. Uh, it lasted for months. Nancy was even in on it. I convinced the kids that I had superpowers, like Superman. Yes. Uh, every night, I went on different missions. I went on scary missions. I went on heroic missions. I went on dangerous and exciting missions. And I went on missions that had part one, part two, and part three. Amazing missions. Now, there's a backstory to this because in the early days of church planning, the early years, I was out most nights. And we decided real early that this would be a partnership, that the kids would be on the same team with what God is doing in this culture and in this, in Waco. And so we would say things like, when dad does ministry to kids, we do ministry. We're a team. So you're sending dad out but you're sending dad out and we're doing this together and God is using you as we do this. So that's the backstory to this. So before I went to bed, I would tell them the story. I put them into bed and then I made sure that they heard me leave to go out and save the world, right, with my superpowers. Now, did I tell you Nancy was in on the story? Yes, she was. She accepted this one. She accepted her role in this one. So in the morning, they'd ask mom, they'd say, Mom, what happened last night? Did dad go out last night? We heard him go out last night. What happened? Tell us. And she would. It was amazing. This went on for months, right? They, they would tell their friends. Colby, did Bryn tell you? 
Where are you, Colby? Did she say that? Yes, my dad has superpowers. That's how big this thing was. So here's the question today's text wants to know from you. What is your superpower? Today's text wants to know what is your superpower? What is your superpower to save others? First and second Samuel want to know. It specifically says things like this for someone who had the superpower. They refreshed. He refreshed others. He made others well. He healed others. What is your superpower to finally see reality to the truth? First and second Samuel want to know. Specifically, it says, and he heard him. Well, all of Israel heard him. No, and he heard him. It was clear to his mind, the unseen world. It was real to his heart, ultimate reality. What's your superpower? What's your superpower to be brave, to be courageous when the lion comes, when the bear shows up, when the giant walks into the room? What's your superpower? What's your superpower to deeply connect with God and deeply connect with others and friendship and community and teamwork? And we're in this together. You go, we go. And to connect with a meaningful mission, God having a specific meaningful mission for you. What's your superpower? What's your superpower to endure suffering without relief? First and second Samuel want to know. Specifically, things like physical pain, mental, emotional pain, spiritual pain, things like the evil of others, human and demonic. Things like rejection and betrayal and loss and not being loved. Things like your own massive sins, your own failure, your own shame. What's your superpower to endure suffering without relief? First and second Samuel want to know. And then finally, what's your superpower to believe? Like, to really believe. To believe with such clarity to the mind and such realness into the heart that it's beyond just information. It's real. You connect with the unseen world. You change. What's your superpower to change? To be changing. To love. to experience joy and freedom and power. What is your superpower? Today's text wants to know. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. I will give a couple backstories because we're just jumping right into the Samuel. We're jumping right into the life of David. So I've got to kind of give you some background or it doesn't make sense. So when I pause... Those of you who love this, I know some of you like drink this stuff up. Others of you are like, get on with it, get on with it. It's okay. 
Here we go. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? The backstory is the band has broken up. You've got Saul, God's king, and Samuel, God's prophet. They broke up in chapter 15. They're no longer a band. And the issue is why? Well, Saul grossly sinned again. So remember the first time he sinned? What did he do? He did a battle by works instead of a battle by faith. And the result was there's no longer going to be any sons or grandsons that will be kings. But then he just, in the chapter before this in 15, he just sins grossly again. What does he do this time? He absolutely rejects God and his word about what God says and how to deal with the Amalekites, the dreaded evil Amalekites. So what's the penalty? What's the result of that? You're going to have a shortened kingship. So first you lose a royal dynasty, and now your kingship is going to get shortened. That's where we're at. So now I want you to look at the question, how long will you grieve over Saul? Why is Samuel grieving over Saul? I mean, is it, I'll never be a celebrity pastor now, like he has some prophetic failure that he's seen in Saul? Or is it option number two? What about the vision, God, to reach and renew as many people in Israel as possible? Is it because he has ministry disappointment? Or option number three, what about all the people I care about? He has genuine concern for others. It's probably all of it, but that's not the point. The point here is not why he's grieving. The point is that he is grieving, and the original reader and you and I need to see it because something is about to happen, and it's not Saul's, Samuel's fault. In other words, the throne is about to change, but Samuel is not sinning when he does it. He's not betraying Saul when he does it. The issue with what's about to happen is Saul's sin, Saul's betrayal of God alone. That's the point. So, fill your horn, your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided, that word provided is used nine times. It is the dominating action, the dominating idea. It literally means chosen. For I have chosen. For I have chosen nine times. For I have chosen for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. In other words, he thinks I'm committing treason, right? And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling. <laughs> do you come peaceably? The backstory is this, is that every time Samuel shows up in in Samuel, he pronounces judgment. So when you see Samuel, it's always, oh no, here he comes. So it's, an, it's no surprise. It's an, trembling's a good response. And he said, I come peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Thank God. Consecrate yourselves. In other words, gentlemen, get ready to stand before the awesome presence of God. And come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse, his sons, invited them to the sacrifice. Now, when they came in, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him, before God. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man sees on the outward appearances, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. 
Can you imagine the sweat? He's starting to freak out. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, I mean, pay attention, he's keeping sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him and get him. We will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent him and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for it is he, literal translation. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you grant the superpower to all of us this morning, even now, as, as we hear your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is your superpower? Today's text wants to know. And you do too. You want to know. What is my superpower? I want you to look at verse 10. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Seven is a perfect number in the ancient world. So the ancient reader would read this in shock and say, oh my word, this is complete rejection. This is perfect rejection. This is absolute rejection. Verse 10 is what fear looks like. Verse 10 is your fear. Am I rejectable? Am I unacceptable? Am I unlovable? Am I not good enough? Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, um, that's me. I know that that fear of being rejectable is the root of all my anxiety. It's the root of all my fears. It's the root of all my insecurity. It's, re it's the root of all my despair. It's the root of all my inferiority. It's the root for why I'm a fleer. It's what shapes the way I think. It's what shapes the way I feel. It's what shapes the way I see things. It's what shapes the way I desire and do things and live life. Yeah, I get that fear. Others of you are thinking, dude, not so fast. <laughs> I don't feel that fear. Am I rejectable? It's not even on my radar until it is. You're the last one picked on the playground. Am I rejectable? You feel so much stress and pressure to perform, to please others, to please yourself. Am I rejectable? You fail, you sin. Am I rejectable? 
You're sinned against. You're abused. Am I rejectable? A romance ends. Am I rejectable? God is so far away. Am I rejectable? What is your superpower? Well, whatever it is, you need one to protect you from rejection. What the Bible does next, the culture will never do. What the Bible is about to do is going to heal you. What the Bible is about to do is going to break your chains. What the Bible is about to do is set you free. But the culture is going to say, that's not healthy. That's oppressive. So Samuel, the Bible, God says, it is healthy. It will break your chains. And here it is. Are you ready? You are already rejected. Your heart is already rejected. Perfect rejection. Complete rejection. Total rejection. Absolute rejection. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For, this is why, this is why he's rejected him. The Lord sees not as man sees. What he's about to say now is a global reality. It's a truth that's in the unseen world. It's like the unseen world is right here in the visible world. And here you get the curtain pulled back and you get just a peek into the unseen world. And it's reality and it's like, oh my word. But this reality that, that this text is actually doing and giving you a peek into the unseen world is healthy. Giving you a peek, it will break your chains. It will set you free. But your first instinct and the instinct of the culture and the instinct of your friends is that's not healthy. That's destructive. But here it is. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, remember when I said I have to tell you the truth, but then I have to tell you what's not true so that you actually get what's true? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I have to eliminate a false interpretation of this passage just here, like in a little footnote, so that we can move on to what is real about this passage. This passage is giving you a glimpse into the unseen world because the natural world that you and I see is that we look at appearances. But God's saying, no, no, that's not what's ultimately real. I see what's ultimately real. I see the heart. You see, that's the point. But today, for some reason, and it's been an interpretation for about 100 years, I don't know why, but for some reason, this, people think this is by, don't judge a book by its cover, Samuel. He's got a really good cover, Iliab, tall, handsome, a king. That's how somehow we end up going in that direction. I don't know how. Or we go in this direction. Look for a good heart, Samuel. Right? Quality of character is better than the quality of good looks or gifts and talents and abilities. Somehow we've gone in that direction instead of the real meaning of this text. Or we've gone in this direction. Look for a person that's seeking after God, Samuel. That's the one you want, not just a capable, skilled, administrative person. 
If that's the interpretation, because, I, I, again, we've got to do this before we can see what's true. If that's the ter- interpretation, if that's the point, then verse 12 makes no sense. Because look at verse 12. And he sent and brought David in. And now David was ruddy and had beautiful eyes <laughs> and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, it is he. Well, it seems God is judging the book by his cover, and it's a good-looking cover. It's a handsome cover. Beautiful eyes. You should model. Verse 7 is about what happens when God does what we don't do. Man looks at the appearance, outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. What happens when God looks at the heart? What happens when you and me get a peek into the unseen world and we see what God sees? Do not look as an appearance because I have rejected him. What happens when he sees the human heart? He rejects it. You're already rejected. Your heart is already rejected. Am I rejectable? Yes, God says. How is this healthy? How is this healthy? How is this a chain breaker? How does this set you free? If we fail to see what happens next, we'll miss everything. We'll miss the health. We'll we'll miss the breaking of your chains. We'll miss the setting of you free. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him David in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Do you see it? Do you see what David's superpower is? It's as clear as day, right? What's his superpower? What's his new heart? What's his acceptable heart? What's his ability to save others literally, which is going to happen in the next chapter? How does he hear him, see reality, start seeing the unseen world? How does he become brave and courageous when the lion, the bear, and the giant come? How does he deeply connect with God and deeply connect with people and deeply connect with God's mission? How does David endure suffering without relief? He is the most suffering person outside of Jesus. How? The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Spirit. What is your superpower? The Spirit. I'm going to give some practical help, and then we'll round this out. Here's some practical help. Why is David chosen, but his brothers are not? Why are his seven brothers not chosen? The answer is not because he had a better heart than his brothers. Not because he was seeking after God, a man after God's own heart, and his brothers weren't. Not because the Spirit rushes in by works. Why is David chosen? Because of grace alone. Because acceptance and acceptability is by grace alone. Because the rush of the Spirit is by grace alone. The point of this text is not David's heart. The point of this text is God's heart. In other words, God acts 
not because of your performance. But God acts and moves towards you out of the wonder of his own being. Out of the wonder of his own character, he loves. He moves. He acts. And the wonder of his own being is called This is healthiness. This breaks chains. This sets you free. So it's not the quality of your heart. It's the wonder of his own being. It's not your performance. It's the wonder of his own being. It's not your race, your beliefs, your ideologies, your devotion. It's the wonder of his own being. Health. Chain breaker. Freedom. Help number two. What's the difference between Saul and David, though? One king and the other king. What's the difference between David and the seven brothers? What's the difference between a Christian and someone who's not a Christian? Answer one thing. The Spirit. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. You know what you and I need is the Spirit of the Lord to rush on us. For the first time and for the millionth time. The superpower of David right here that sets the rest of his life is the Spirit of of the Lord rushed upon him. The spirit of the Lord gave him a new heart. You and I come into this world with a Saul heart or a King Agog heart if you're an Amalekite. And when the spirit of the Lord comes upon us, you're given a new heart. A spiritual heart. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, you're given bravery and courage and love and the ability to endure suffering without relief and so on and so on and so on. What is your superpower? The Spirit. Last question for practical help. How do you receive the rush of the Spirit? This is unbelievable. Then Samuel, remember Samuel's the prophet, so this is verse 13. Can we put verse 13 up there? We got it. Then Samuel... The prophet, then the prophet, we could say then the word of God. We also could say then the Bible. So, then the Bible took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The spirit of the Lord rushes upon you for the first time in the billionth time. In, with, and by the Bible. The word of God. This is so incredibly amazing. This is so incredibly practical. In other words, I need the Spirit. Read the Bible, hear a sermon. Oh. I need a new heart. I need a changing heart. Answer from 1 Samuel. Read the Bible, hear a sermon. I need to see reality. Read the Bible, hear a sermon. Well, I want to help others. Read the Bible. Hear a sermon. Well, I need endurance. Read the Bible. Hear a sermon. I need to experience joy. I need courage. I need bravery. Read the Bible. Hear a sermon. I need a superpower. Read the Bible. Hear a sermon. And the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon you. The Holy Spirit is not complicated. Read the Bible. Hear a sermon. And he rushes upon you for the first time, for the billionth time. Forever. What is your superpower? The Spirit. Some of you are stuck 
Because you were wondering, and what about the seven rejected brothers, though? Yahoo for David. And then what about me? Am I rejectable? We don't know this yet, but David is different. He's going to be like us in that he's rejectable. He's going to be like us in that he's sinful and stupid, and he's going to have these shining moments and these massive failures. He's just like us. But then David is not like us. He's going to be called the anointed one, the chosen one. He's going to be called the king of Israel and the man of the spirit. He's going to be called an epic redemptive agent. He's going to be called, Jesus is going to be called the son of David. So Jesus is not being called the son of Gilbert or the son of Walt. So there's something in where he's like us, like he's a fellow fallen worshiper, human being. And then there's something about him where he's not like us. He has this global, cosmic, redemptive role. So what about the seven rejected brothers? Here's the answer. David saves them. He literally saves them in the next chapter. And the spirit is unleashed on Israel. We could read it like this. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And through David, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon his brothers and all of Israel. What about me? Am I rejectable? Remember we got to that point in the text where it was just the tension was unbelievable. Remember? <laughs> Imagine Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the sons? Are these all you have? I mean, seven rejected sons, seven rejected hearts, and Saul's trying to figure out, well, is everyone rejected? Is there someone who's not rejected? And he said, there remains the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. Verse 12, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. It is he. It is is he it is he arise what about me am i rejectable arise it is he there is a better chosen one the son of david and everyone in here can arise because it is he. You don't need to stay in a rejectable place. You can arise because it is he. Because there is only one human being that ever lived who is not rejected and rejected at the same time. Jesus was chosen to give you his divine acceptability, his, his glory and his honor that is absolutely impervious to rejection. Jesus gives you such divine acceptability that you can no longer be rejected. Certainly not by God. And when you get that, you cannot any longer be rejected by any human being because it's like, what? That doesn't 
It might hurt, it might sting, but it doesn't go to the roots of your being. And when you fail, your performance can't reject you. Your thinking and your feelings can't reject you. When you start getting that you have the divine acceptability of Jesus, you become the unrejectable human being, the most secure human being on the planet, the boldest, bravest human being on the planet, the least anxious and fearful human being on the planet. Arise, it is he. Jesus was chosen to be rejected in your place. He became the rejected one. He became your rejection. So even any aspect or corner of your life where you feel rejectable, Jesus actually became that rejection and took it away from you. It's no longer yours. It's absolutely his. Arise, it is he. Jesus was chosen to give you the spirit. To give you the superpower. That's the only difference. The only difference between having a superpower and not having one. Arise. It is he.